Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Luke. And this is Will and Luke Discuss. A vodcast. And podcast. Where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This This episode, episode, we're discussing Radical Acceptance by Tara Brach. So she is a psychologist and also a Buddhist meditation teacher as well and um came across this book um listening to her on a a podcast she did and um found some of her ideas really really interesting she had a a book called radical compassion but this one was written before called radical acceptance so i guess we discussed it's probably best to read this one first and um i guess just the context in which we chose the book was that we we felt like we were going through like a lot of books that were uh um, content heavy in terms of ways to, um, you know, improve your life, make changes, make adjustments, set goals, um, kind of behavioral tweaks. And we thought maybe it'd be nice to kind of take a bit of a step back this week and, um, look at, uh, acceptance and, um, not maybe putting so much pressure on ourselves mm, when we're getting all these right. ideas about ways we, uh, ways we could and should be, um, maybe just taking a bit of a step back. So, mm. um, that's the reasons why we chose the book, but I'm um, wondering whether I could hear your your brief elevator pitch and I can add add my mm. thoughts on top of that as well. Okay, yeah, no, I like what you just said. We, we've done a lot of, um, we've read a lot of books about changing and self-improvement and, and that can, over time, uh, weigh heavy, can't it? When you're like, mm. well, I've got all these habits and I've got the habits of... Seven habits of highly effective people to end them about, and the twelve rules for life, and it's like there's a lot to stick to. So this this yeah, one's a bit yeah. like okay, well, w- w- when we're inevitably not perfect, um, then what? How, how do you relate to yourself when um, with all our human frailties? So yeah, mm. I like mm. that. Um, so the elevator pitch. So radical acceptance. Okay. So she, Tara Brack, she uh, is a long-term meditator and of Buddhist practices. And so this book is about our feelings of um, insufficiency, uh, unworthiness, um, pain, fear, feelings of when we're triggered to feel not good enough. These are Buddhist um, methods, practices, and attitudes that we can take towards ourselves to change our relationship towards ourselves. Um, so we don't, let's say, suffer. So there's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain might be the initial, um, I don't know, shame or anger or something but then we cause ourselves to suffer further when we uh, criticize ourselves for feeling ashamed Mm -hmm. or embarrassed and we Mm -hmm. then feel ashamed about ourselves and getting angry so we layer these pains on top of each other and um, this is basically a way to stop and accept yourself wherever you're at uh, that'll be my go mm. and elevator mm. pitch. <laughs> no, no, so I think that was great. And I think um, the, the wording she she would use, she says, you know, it's about um, nurturing yourself, transforming your sorrows 
and uh, she says like reclaiming your your wholeness of being because uh, often we get caught in this um this trance of you know insecurity deficiency um kind of in- abandoning ourselves when we feel embarrassed or um, shameful or um, you know we add to suffering by as you say like worrying about worrying or there's anxiety about anxiety and um, often people go around with a sense that kind of they're they're not enough they should be doing more. Mm. Um, thinking that there's something wrong with them. And uh, I guess she goes through kind of um, these 12, these 12 chapters and at the end of each chapter is kind of a meditation mm. to, um, to go through, to, to, to address the, the different aspects of the book that we'll go through, which, which is quite useful. I think that the, an interesting um, place to start would be, you know, around what she calls the, the trance of unworthiness. Mm. So, you know, she, she says, you know, whether it's due to like culture, our childhood, um, being in a competitive environment, um, there are m- multiple factors. But um, you know, she says we can very much get ca- get caught up in like a, a pre-scripted drama that defines our experience. So we kind of mm. interpret things um, in a certain way due to the way we were brought up and how we compare ourselves to others, how we um, were treated as a child, how we're treated in the workplace, in relationships can... Um, leads to an impression we have of ourselves. Mm. And if that's not a positive impression, um, she refers to that as, you know, the trance of unworthiness. And, you know, often that leads to us, um, you know, blaming ourselves. There's a constant monitoring of how we interact with other people, overthinking what we say, what we do, Mm. not trusting ourselves um, can lead to, you know, being afraid of rejection um, and difficulty connecting with others. So if we're kind of, constantly trapped in those stories of like, we're not good enough and I'm not doing enough and I'm failing Mm. the impact that has on the way we relate with others. But most importantly, the way we relate with ourselves is what she's Mm. referring to. And uh, over the years, she's saying that we, we develop strategies to kind of minimize the pain we experience because once we felt that pain of being unworthy Mm. and not enough, we do our best to, not feel that again and that can lead to all types of behaviors um and can i think most importantly lead us to to close off to our inner experience and focus more stories that we're telling ourselves about our experience which um compounds the the suffering yeah that we that we feel so that that's my yeah kind of general summary and i think it uh it takes a lot of different angles but um yeah, I hope that adds nicely. Yeah, to no, that's it. the yeah. um, so that's like the title of chapter one. This the trance of unworthiness, and it's the setup for the rest of the book, isn't it? It's the here's our uh, diagnosis or, or of the problem, really. That's and I like this word trance. Um, you've mentioned mm. it's like a story we're telling ourselves that we're living in a uh, living in a, a map, a story, a paradigm, if you will. Um, mm. <laughs> that's, back to uh, podcast number two <laughs> <laughs> um, that's um and the reason we can stay up there like you pointed out at the end but i think it's worth highlighting is that when we um through cultural and family experiences growing up when our self-expression isn't accepted and we learn to push it away we learn to deny our inner life 
then we're not in touch with it anymore and we can live up in our in our head in a story about ourselves and we're not actually that connected mm. to our needs in those moments mm. i wouldn't mind reading uh one of the little stories she she um wrote in the book on, on this topic because it really stood love out to hear to it um so it's this one here she says uh a family went so this is for context this is um how this an example a small example of how this trance can come to be in from childhood and um, mm, someone mm. countering it and how jarring that can be so mm. a family went out to a restaurant for dinner when the wait waitress arrived the parents gave their orders immediately their five-year-old daughter piped up with her own i'll have a hot dog french fries and a coke oh no you won't interjected the dad and turned to the waitress he said she will have meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and milk. Looking at the child with a smile, the waitress said, So, hun, what do you want on that hot dog? When she left, the family sat stunned and silent. A few moments later, the little girl, eyes shining, said, She thinks I'm real. Mm. Feeling feeling seen for the first time. Her her needs are kind of yeah. put above that of what a not um, subjugating to her, her parents' desires <laughs> or feeling subjugated, yeah. Yeah, well, the, there's such yeah. a, an assumption that, you know, one adult, in this case the waitress, would um, care about the inner life of the other adults, which considered the authorities, and therefore sort of dismiss the inner life of, of someone who's a child. And with that attitude mm. that we probably all experience because it's embedded in the culture, um, we all kind of learn um to deny our experience to some degree to to deny our preferences and um certain opinions and sensations in the body feelings of depends if you know for uh i guess culturally it might be women who repress more anger and men who repress more sadness and, and upset because they're, you know, it's not cool to be a crying man and it's generally not perceived well to be a sort of angry, hysterical woman. So there are these stereotypes, which um, perhaps we all have to some degree, but uh, yeah, I think it's very common to deny lots of our experience through messages like this and end up in that trance of unworthiness. Uh, what I'm thinking as you're saying that is um, that the that the power within us like shifts at that point. It kind of becomes uh, it, it goes to external sources. Mm. That, you know, we, we can become very like reliant on other people's um, opinions of us, or um, a lot of the things we might do might feel conditional. Like when I do this, I I get rewarded, or when I do mm. this, I'm I'm bad. You know, that kind of sense of like yeah. good, bad, productive, not productive, lazy, switched on. Yeah. Um, whereas actually kind of what she's saying is that there's like an, an innate power within us. If only we look, you know, that that's actually, we lose that power quite quickly, but if we can kind of bring it back to what's within us, you know, mm. we, we do have all the answers. Our experience is enough. We're not, um, we weren't born to kind of, you know, strive for other people's, um, approval. Mm. And that sort of thing. I think that that's that kind of stuck with me throughout this whole book is like thinking about what's the most. Um, she said this in a podcast, which made me really stand out. She said, 
in a moment when you're maybe striving or wanting to improve or keeping busy or productive, what is the most helpful response in that moment? Mm. Like what's obviously you can be like stressed about what you're doing and try and get it done as quick as possible or worry about trying to impress other people. Mm. But deep, deep down with the power that's in you, like what is going to be the most useful, kind, caring response for you to get done what you what you would like to get done or how mm. you would like like to live your life and that that's st- that stuck with me a lot i think that's really kind of you know jumping to my <laughs> kind of main conclusion like yeah just thinking like what is the most helpful way of addressing this situation yeah like i may i may be wrong i may have fucked up i may have said something stupid but is it helpful to kind of jump to that old paradigm of a uh, paradigm of um like blaming and criticism and focusing on my own faults and becoming my own mm. worst critic like is it more helpful to think of it in another so, way yeah there's a lot to unpack in that at the start yeah. something you were saying ties really well into um person-centered theory so uh, carl rogers talks about this uh intrinsic locus of evaluation <laughs> versus extrinsic locus of evaluation and um yeah if we deny our inner life to some degree and um when we have to and if we defer to authority which we sort of have to when we're small and powerless we the balance can shift too heavily to extrinsic evaluation so we're just evaluating ourselves as as you say good bad productive unproductive on this not on our actual felt sense of needs going met or unmet, but this idea we've internalized of what we should do based on mm. um, cultural and familial in- interjections. And, and then you talked about what's actually most helpful in any given moment, what's the most helpful attitude. And I, I guess, um, sometimes even our goals themselves are not really for us, which can become mm. extra confusing because we're beating ourselves up then for not meeting goals. We don't even want <laughs> like, mm. um, um, it wasn't, well, this- go on. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to say what she would say is radical acceptance is kind of w- clearly recognizing our experience without wanting to be more. So mm. I, I did where well, I jumped in there, but it's sort of, um, but that's a really important crux to, you know, seeing things clearly and holding it with, with um, mm. compassion and love, as opposed to kind of uh, wanting things to be different. Like if you can remove that, then we're like a lot more connected to our experience mm. and we're able to like make that transformation. Um, I'm aware I just cut you off on a, <laughs> on a stream of thought. So apologies. If you- it's just interesting, this idea of, okay, so we've got some sort of goal. We're trying to be productive towards that goal. We stumble and then um, we might end up beating ourselves up internally, having a negative attitude towards ourselves, whether that arises through shame and self-criticism or or even just anxiety. It's like this idea that, oh, I'm bad and I'm anxious, I'm going to be caught or... Mm. um, so I guess I was building on that and saying even the goal we were striving for, for which we stumbled, might not even be our own. So she talks here mm. about, you know, strategies to manage the pain of inadequacy. One, 
we may embark on one self-improvement project after another um we may keep busy so workaholism yeah. stuff like that sometimes mm-hmm. you, we're even beating ourselves up for things we don't even want to do <laughs> which right. is even yeah, worse yeah. and that, that that links a little bit to um i guess like tony the tony robbins podcast we did mm. just talking about you know like where do you spend your time in your mm. your life as well like are we if you're spending things in the zone of um demand and then so you're doing things that kind of aren't important and aren't urgent mm. um but also you're kind of beating yourself up when you get those things wrong or yeah. you're not doing them to the best of your ability that's a whole that's a whole level of compounding isn't it when you start oh, kind of yeah. feeling gu- guilt and shame about shit you don't want to do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. i guess so to reverse engineer that we would have to one tap into our experience of, of the self-criticism but maybe even come all the way down to recognizing you know i don't i think the reason i'm procrastinating this isn't because i'm bad but i don't even want to do it like why am i in mm. this job <laughs> like do you, um yeah, yeah. <laughs> there can be those realizations once once you actually connect with your experience. You realize yeah. like, what does the wanting want? You know, that's mm, um, yeah. Like, what is? And sometimes it's extrinsic evaluation, evaluative, like positive judgment. Right, I, I want, or just to not be punished. Even I just want to get by without anyone noticing me or making sure people like me. That sort of thing. I, th- I think you're. Um, you've kind of led me on to something I really wanted to to speak about, which was yeah. um, chapter six, you know, around um, radical acceptance and desire. And oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we've been speaking over the last few weeks a lot about um, kind of that striving versus acceptance balance, you know, mm. between kind of, a, you know, being okay with, you know, your drives and your motivations and using that to kind of move things forward and uh, achieve meaningful goals that are in line with your values, et cetera, et cetera. But also kind of not getting so caught up in those that um, you could uh, berate yourself if you weren't achieving those or you kind of like missed a day doing something that worked towards Mm, something mm. meaningful as well. I think, um, I guess she, well, she does outline the, the Buddhist idea that it's, we, there's a wanting self, but it's only when we cling yeah. to these things that pass away so easily. Like just that kind of idea of impermanence that, you know, we, we want something, but then we achieve it and then it's kind of gone, it's temporary. And then it yeah. moves on to the next one. I think keeping that in mind, like the, the context and the way in which the wanting mind operates is that yeah. like things are transitory that we don't, um, we we needn't hold on to these ideas so tightly, and I think that's something she really points to is that you know it's it's okay to have our wants and our desires, mm. but it's when that takes over the sense of of who we are. Like if, mm. if that becomes overwhelming or the overbearing factor that prevents you from connecting with like your true self and mm. what's important to you you kind of get caught up in the web of like i must do 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 like what you're saying earlier, like keep busy workaholic mm. do this and that um and something i um, just want to read a quick quote here that i wrote down yeah. it says like in the trance of unworthiness yeah. our desires fixate on soothing our anxiety right so that really i think that really ties everything up. so we're in we're in this trance yeah and then we have a lot of desires that are mainly just fixated around not feeling anxious about being 
not being anxious about not being where we feel we need to be. Mm. And like, as long as we've got that sense of like that gap between here's where we are and here's where we want to be, there's that anxious gap that we attempt to soothe with various desires. You know, we yeah. kind of um, t- talks about like substitutes, you know, we kind of substitute yeah. our, uh, um, you know, what ways to meet our emotional needs to ignore pain and shame um, and wanting like love and attention, like constant mm. wanting, 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 and that negative cycle can um, spiral. And I think mm. for me, this is like a real standout part of the book. Um, yeah, no, that, that chapter stood out for me as well. So there's mm. this idea that I really like the way you spelled that out. So we can, okay, we're in a trance of unworthiness. We, we're feeling anxiety about risking uh, whatever it might be, rejection, abandonment, or even just breaking our own standards of, um, again, what Carl Rogers would call our conditions of worth. So we don't even need to actually get told off by someone or left or rejected. We can just break our own internal standard, then feel the shame of that ourselves. So if we're just sort of feeling anxious about that happening, and um, as you point out, we'll seek soothing behaviors to ease that, and then that can feel like our true desires, which trusting, yeah, we can which is not that as because yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not coming from our actual needs, it's coming off staving off threats. And although that's you know, it's useful to have that mechanism, it's a very different place. And um, I remember us talking about this a long time back, I think, you know, through attached um attachment styles and how do you know when a want is a healthy want versus a want that's yes, an unhealthy yeah. one and sometimes yeah it's so hard to tell and but this can be a mechanism by which that occurs it's like uh and it can be messy she she talked about her workaholism and sometimes she'll be uh doing projects that she loves and that she's passionate about she's practicing writing something for a teaching she's going to give for a presentation and maybe at the start Mm. it's like yeah i'm into this i'm in the zone i'm this is fulfilling a need of creativity of mine and maybe it gets closer to the time and she it's starting to be more like oh no like i've I've got to get this perfect i'm getting anxious about um how i'll be perceived if it's not good enough in the meantime i've perhaps neglected my children the last couple of days because I've been immersed in this project. And suddenly something that was coming from a, a true place of um, need fulfillment has now sort of slowly transitioned into soothing anxiety for this mm. trance of unworthiness. And I could relate to that. So true. Yeah. I think you've made a really interesting point around that then becomes our goal mm. and we kind of, we lose touch with our, like our actual internal drives. Mm. Like, why am I, why am I wanting to, you know, stay behind? I'm just thinking of an example, like stay behind from work an hour later, just to kind of look good in front of my colleagues. Or why am I, Mm. why am I busting my ass to get this project done? That isn't as important. Yeah. It's, it's it's a whole loop. And I think it it can, it can add to getting lost in self-judgment as well like the compounding like oh i need to be this and the more projects you give yourself the more demands you place on yourself and the more um Mm. the more you can push yourself to kind of wanting wanting to do more and more and i guess Mm. it's uh i guess to to counter to counteract that it's thinking about 
really understanding your your true desires mm. and really understanding your your anxiety or stress yeah. Yeah. for for what it is like being able to separate the two and also kind of what we're going back to as well like having clear priorities in your life like what's important to me what's a good use of my time whose opinions do i care about whose opinions should i not invest mm. my energy into it's um it, yeah, it did make me think a lot about some other books, you know, like, yeah, the Tony Robbins um, thing we did and like getting things done as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, first things first mm. in the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm. Um, it's kind of a, this is like a spiritual base to those things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Which it can, I guess, uh, going back to the reason we picked it, it can end up falling into that trap again so she even talked about people who are on you know these buddhist meditation retreats thinking like oh, i'm not as not as holy as everyone else you know i, I, can't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't i can't um control my mind like other people i'm just sat here like off in my thoughts while everyone else is kind of um in touch with themselves and they're more self-compassionate than i am and <laughs> like you can turn even this into that like i'm not good enough kind of um trance state which is quite funny mm. Mm. i i like something she says in the next chapter the uh the opening our heart chapter um yeah. just around kind of like in the the face of fear just linking a bit to kind of talking about you know uh the, the anxiety um we face and we attempt to soothe with our desires you know she's talking about that there's often an anticipation of pain that we have that can lead mm. to um you know, self, self-preservation. So we want to preserve ourselves and keep ourselves safe from any future pain. Um, and to do that, there's stories we attach mm -hmm. in order to kind of create a narrative around um, why we're the way we are, why things aren't the way we want them to be, or why we want things to be different. And as long as that's going on, we're kind of going to be, um, we're kind of like abandoning ourselves from the reality of the situation mm. that, we're, that we're facing and also like any pain that we're anticipating at the same time. I thought that that was pretty interesting. Um, try, trying to think how best to explain myself. Like she puts in here, you know, mm. talking about like the fight, flight, freeze response that we yeah. have when, when faced with, with, um, with pain. Yeah. Yeah. So with a threat and um, I guess what this made me think about a lot is that are my, my attitudes, um, towards myself kind of impacted by the anticipation of what's happening next, as opposed to mm. kind of what I'm experiencing right now. Mm. I imagine that'd be common for a few people. Um, wondering what thoughts you had on that. I've attempted to explain myself, yeah, but looking uh, back, I'll, I'm not sure I did. <laughs> I'll check. I'm um, with you and I'll, I'll check by, uh, yeah. I think referring to a story that was probably in this chapter, she was talking about, raising her son and that they'd got to this place where um, she was getting very angry and frustrated a lot because they just come up with all these um, rules and agreements and then he wouldn't stick to them. So it's like, okay, for between this time you'll do your homework and lights out will be at this time. And they'd talk yeah. about it and agree. And then, you know, she'd walk past his room and the, the she'd hear the game console going in the middle of the night and that sort of thing. Mm. 
And one time she kind of got to the door of his bedroom, was like feeling this rage. She could hear the PlayStation or whatever going off during the time where he was either supposed to be asleep or doing homework. And rather than barging in, she just paused and like noted, yes, got this story in her head about how he's bad and broken the agreement and where that's going to go. But instead just pauses and like feels that like, tension in her chest the kind of throbbing in the head the the desire to spew out all the um common things she might say in that moment and just sort of paused and stayed with that and um managed to see her own or get in touch with her own fear and i guess yeah fear underneath the anger which is like what's his future going to be like if he kind of stays on this path if he can't discipline himself and then her own sort of sadness and um underneath that fear and then she could go into his bedroom and from that place where she'd paused and slowed down and could talk to him and um actually listen to him and get in touch with you know what he gets the the mastery he gets from playing the video game the Mm, the difficulty mm. in having lights out at a time when you're not tired that sort of thing and um so that was an anecdote she told and it you reminded me of it when you were saying that yeah there'd be times you can be in fear thinking about uh the story you're telling yourself and from that place lose touch of what's actually going on with you in the moment Mm. and i i think about that in terms of the the energy we use on these things as well like there's a lot of energy that can be used in kind of uh obsessing about things problem solving um fighting against things before they've even happened you know it's like what what's a wise use of um our energy in that situation so for her kind of going in that situation like going going inwards Mm. was uh, a wise use of her energy because once she connected to her experience she could then kind of respond in a a clearer more Mm. um considered way without you know, kind of even just as simple as kind of just responding and not reacting. Like if yeah. we connect to our inner experience, then we can kind of respond from that place, and it yeah. kind of comes comes through us as opposed to kind of just um, old reactions and the story she had. You know, around mm. um, my son being unproductive and his future's going to go down yeah. down the drain if he keeps playing and things like that. And uh, interesting in that chapter, she says that. Um, like we'll project our anxiety kind of onto whatever's in front of us. So mm. I imagine if if she's not connected to that kind of uh, inner panic and worry yeah. and anxiety, that that might have come up in like a work situation that might have been directed towards her husband. It might not mm. go straight straight to the child. So mm. it's interesting to think like we we can carry that around with us unless we, um, I guess we still carry around with us once we, we identify with it, but it, we can kind of respond from a, uh, a more considered, calmer, um, more loving place, she would suggest. Are you saying that if we yeah. don't notice those feelings are there and have arisen, they'll sort of stay with us and they could come out later in other interactions? Yeah, yeah. And they'll, yeah, they'll project themselves onto like wh- whatever that, that thing yeah. was. Like, I know certainly um, you know, if you're talking about... Um, Think about, you know, if you kind of, even as simple as having like poor sleep, you're hungry, you're tired, and you kind of, no matter where you went, you, you would imagine you, you get a bit more like short-tempered with 
with things or you, you see see the world entirely differently if yeah. you're feeling disconnected and you kind of you, you've lost control at that point you don't quite know where you're going to go like i know um addicts talk um you know in 12 step recovery a lot about um you know connecting to a to a higher power mm. and um kind of once once they've lost that connection they kind of don't know where they don't know where they could go like if you if you've lost that perspective and I guess what she's referring to as perspective is like a real clear understanding of your inner experience. Like once mm. you've lost that, then you you are kind of at the the whim of your your pre programming or mm. your pre- previous um, childhood right. responses that have been embedded into you. Right. So you've got these um, auto cue default mm. responses. Nice. And that yeah, if yeah, you yeah. don't, yeah. if if you're not well, chapter three about the, the sacred pause. If, if you don't mm. learn to pause, then your default programs will just run on autopilot. Mm. I'm wondering um, whether there's a time you found uh, a pause has been, been helpful for you recently um, at all, or whether it's something you, you're getting better at with increased mindfulness practice. Yeah, so... So, okay... So we had chapter one, which was the trance of unworthiness. And then uh, I'll put kind of two and three together here in that context. So mm. chapter two was, I just wanted to touch on was the, it was about what, what do we mean? What are we set accepting when we talk about acceptance? Because you heard this phrase self-acceptance thrown around a lot. And in, in the Buddhist philosophy, there really is no self to accept. I was going to, um, yeah, had an example about that. As well. yeah. <laughs> um, and so what we're actually accepting is, is the nature of our, of, of experience. Um, so, you know, the, a tightness in the chest and throat, uh, um, an image that floats past our mind or that we get caught up in a, a past memory. We start ruminating about the, the sensations in our, stomach when when we think about that thought and it's like raising our awareness to all this inner stuff happening but none of it is is you and to to the degree to which you um feel like you need to accept your your i yourself Mm. she's kind of suggesting well that's a story you're telling yourself and so we're not talking about accepting that story of you because someone might say well but I'm a worthless piece of shit. Why would I accept that? <laughs> it's like, well, that's a, yeah. that's a story. What we're talking about accepting is, is the sensations and um, in your body in these, in these moments. And then chapter three is all about practicing, pausing at critical moments um, mm. to notice when that's what's happening in our body, when these autopilots coming from ourselves about to mm. go online. Mm. And I guess for, for me, I've so we did uh, a podcast on the happiness trap and waking up. So we had a little series, didn't we, on kind of mindfulness and and yeah. I think initially I for many years I've had various meditation practices and they've been um, really helpful. But it's this book sort of highlighted for me how they have been mainly you know, that, you know, a certain point in my routine or morning, I'll have a practice where, you know, I'm in a room on my own, my eyes are closed, or maybe I'm looking out a window or something. And it's good practice, but it's not, it's not in the flow of life. It's I've 
created the safe bubble to do it in mm. outside of the actual frustrations of interactions or workflow or, or things like that. So coming all the way back around to your question, I, I guess that this no, is no, about no, I love that. Yeah. Um, how do we, I guess, apply those mindful awareness skills in, in critical moments and yeah, in reading the book. So um, yeah, I was, let's see. I was on a walk with my partner yesterday and and yeah, th so the the stories and teachings of this book had been like on my mind and I was thinking to practice them because I imagine Will might ask me about them on the podcast. <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, I, I was talking through with her this um, session I'm writing because I, I do a bit of teaching and I was trying to get these concepts down. And I was, I was trying to explain ideas I hadn't fully formed yet. Mm. And um, I was starting to get quite frustrated, not kind of at myself for not being able to think or articulate what I'm trying to say. And rather than sort of plow on trying to get these words out from that place, I noticed that was happening. And I, um, so yeah, I, I practiced this pause and I felt this sort of, uh, tension, I guess, around here. And, and I, I stayed with it a bit. I said, oh, I'm, cause she knew I was reading this book. I said, oh, I'm just, I'm having a moment. And, um, and yeah, that I, I noticed that actually under there was a sadness about the potential for being, um, missed mis misunderstood not attuned with um and it was and so what i really wanted i guess was or needed was a sense of um connection mm -hmm. which i could and then i was able to say that and we just had a hug and i felt a lot better and i still hadn't actually got the words out I was trying to say, but um, we did eventually, but it was interesting that I wouldn't have. So yeah, had this moment as it frustrated that I couldn't get my words out. I couldn't articulate myself. And I think without that pause, I wouldn't have recognized the underlying need of where that comes from, the kind of desire to be, you know, attuned with someone else to be connected. And it's like, mm. if this keeps happening, if I can't get my words out, I'm just getting more, distant and disconnected and um it's that that's what i need mm. and it's, it's sort of like you've um you've taken that opportunity that's presented itself to you like you feel a, a rising sense of frustration mm. and you've taken the opportunity to kind of uh dive dive a bit deeper and, mm. and look into it you know and i think in in terms of like bringing it to daily life you know compared to um formal practice it's yeah. it's really in that isn't it it's kind of like looking for those day-to-day -day opportunities where um you can yeah pause and deepen your your search or deepen your reflection to kind of find out like what's underlying here what's what's mm. driving this like what's what's important to me in this situation because uh without that the, you can imagine the frustration will either continue or you'll find a way to kind of uh 
soothe that frustration or yeah. uh, explode in that frustration or yeah. and then which could lead to like being quite self-critical or you know kind of oh, every time i get frustrated i do this or do mm. that whereas um dropping dropping a level deeper i think that's a that's a really great example actually of um i suppose the mindfulness practices kind of allowed you the awareness to kind of be able to see and name mm. that that frustration and then this is an encouragement to go to go below below that and really like dive mm. into the uh into the this the sensation um and kind of she would say you know kind of investigating with with curiosity and like a a loving attitude it's not kind of a you're not like an aggressive detective who (laughs) needs to find out what's going on right now to fix it and also also you know kind of goes into the whole thing of like not doing this as a way to kind of uh achieve a goal that will make you feel better about yourself do, do yeah, you know what i mean like yeah. sort of it's kind of like doing it for its own sake for the sake of your well-being and like yeah. in a in a piece as opposed because, to because you're yeah. someone you're responsible and worthy of taking care of rather than because you're someone who needs to you know you feel like you must reach some level of awakening or or uh yeah self-helpness to um, yeah. <laughs> be that good person yeah there's a big difference Makes, isn't there yeah and there's um i guess there's like criticism from um more traditional buddhist teachers that kind of uh mindfulness has been turned into this kind of a uh, money-making scheme like mindfulness for for businessmen <laughs> or, <laughs> you know how to make how mindfulness can help you make more money every month or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah <it's>, uh, <laughs> Um, but I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Really thinking about, um, yeah. Opportunities for compassion. I think it, um, I wonder how, how this relates to, um, something we've spoken about before, you know, around like visualization, intention setting. I know we've spoken about, um, times that we've practiced that in our lives. I wonder whether, um, this kind of feeds into that at all in terms of you know what we what we want for ourselves and yeah. so i know um during uh like the neuro linguistic programming that tony robbins does as well he talks about um oh so what's it called the after you do the breaths the mm. incantations oh, okay yeah 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 yeah. yeah it talks about you know kind of using affirmations as mm. a sense of um <laughs> you know like i I have all the strength I need. I have all the the power I need. Yeah, I, I can hear it every, every, every day every, in every way. I'm getting stronger <laughs> and stronger. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's um, I think it, obviously you've got to use like a language that works for you. Yeah. And she, she warns against um, you know, kind of using a pre-scripted things. And you know, she, there's a chapter on talking about you know meta, which is um, you know, the loving kindness meditations. Mm-hmm. You know, like may you be happy, may you be free, um. Yeah, may be free from suffering. May, may you, um, you know, live live in happiness mm-hmm. and connection, all that sort of thing, and like directing that to obviously towards others as like meta, you know, the wider mm-hmm. concept, but like towards ourselves. I guess finding language and um, I suppose it's something I've I've been I've been trying, and I think it does work as a, a useful reminder. And I guess that's more. Um, around how can you kind of remind yourself of these practices and this attitude towards yourself on a, a daily basis. So I'm not, mm. um, 
I'm, I'm sensing you're agreeing with me that this can feed into that. Um, but obviously, uh, yeah. Yeah. Y- y- there's not too much in there. I, I guess the, the thing with constructing imagery is that you're, there's a risk, isn't there, of taking yourself back away, back out from your body. So there's, there's not too much of those types of practices in the book. It's, it's a lot more focused on getting in touch with what's already happening, mm. um, which felt to me like more of the focus and I think perhaps more of the bedrock and maybe I, I would guess that that's... Uh, using imagery to induce states would perhaps be a bit more um once you have this platform of being able to get in touch with your body that might be a nice nice place to go next mm. but i imagine it's it's like a secondary step somehow um because it's i know you're using it to get in touch with parts of your body but it's it's fundamentally a cognitive process isn't it to construct um mm. words and images so I think, yeah, it's it's not something I took much from this book. Much more so, I I heard the like getting more and more in touch with nuanced sensations in the body. Hmm. I think I'd probably relate it more to what I mentioned earlier around you know kind of um, what's the the kindest way to proceed and not kind of mm. like ab- abandoning um, oneself when, when you're faced with you know, a, ch- a challenge or something that's difficult or confronting. Um, I think like what's, what's useful reminders to kind of carry around with you at those, mm. those points in, in time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, mine, sim- mine simply is just kind of just keeping that at the back of my mind. Like what's the, the kindest way to respond to myself in this situation? Yeah. Like, Am I am I adding to the frustration I feel or the anxiety I feel, or um, is there, is there another way? I think just kind of with mm. these incantations or these um, mindfulness reminders, you know, they are just kind of yeah. So signaling another way to it? be a cue. Yeah, exactly. Like when you're at the fork in the roads, yeah. when you're deciding which way to go, there's kind of a a flagpost somewhere there. Like yeah. there's a yeah, there's a something to aim for like the, the, the greater good, which is your goodness itself as yeah. opposed to um, anyone else's opinion or yeah. Yeah. Know, these man- manufactured goals that we kind of give ourselves in the yeah. years we have on this planet, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm more in touch with what you're saying now. So it's, you're talking more about what can be a helpful, um, a go-to anchor or cue that you can grab in these moments that can just open the doorway to the rest of this stuff that can remind you of um, how you'd like to be in those moments. Mm-hmm. How, um, how did you feel about some of the, um, the final few chapters there? So we've got, um, you know, there was a recognizing our, our basic goodness uh, awakening together and uh, realizing our true nature. Was there anything from those final three chapters you've seen that kind of stood out to you? Yes. <laughs> okay. This this uh, chapter nine. I don't think that was one of the ones you just said, was it? But it, 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 it was <laughs> the uh, the last, the latter third, I guess, of the book. 
opens a door. So it, you can imagine if the first part of the book is, um, you know, here's the diagnosis, here's the trance of unworthiness we find ourselves in, here's a way to reconnect with our um, body in ways which it, to connect with bits of ourselves that have been uh, disowned through um, rejecting experiences. And then here's how to do that perhaps with a kind attitude in crucial moments, not just yeah. on the cushion. I would say then the less, latter half, latter third of the book is all, is more about then um, this in, in relationship mm. um, uh, bringing other people into it a bit more. And what stood out in chapter nine, widening circles of compassion was this sense of, well, that she called it the trance of the unreal other, <laughs> but I, I okay. would call it objectifying people. Um, she talked about how we can so easily fall into seeing people as like these two-dimensional things and not actually as um, living beings with their own histories and dreams and concerns mm -hmm. and, and they actually have you know other people have inner lives um it's mm. it sounds silly to say that out loud but i i see it's so easy to um fall into the trap of yeah I, I like the word objectifying i know it's used a lot um specifically for like sexually objectifying people but we can objectify people by just calling them names in our minds or seeing them as like just tools or obstacles to what we want to achieve rather than yeah. individuals in their own right. They're kind of like related to um, object relations theory about, you know, people are kind of, that, we've spoken about that before. Mm, yeah. yeah. The people are kind of like, they serve a function in our lives and they're good right. or bad depending yes. on their, their function and how they, uh, how they can help us acquire our goals or not. Um, yeah. Which makes sense yeah. for an infant, but we can take that, uh, we can again it's a default setting we can fall into so you know when a, yeah. um, I mean how typical is it for for someone to sort of be yelling on the phone or getting angry with someone who's just in a administrative position when what they're really angry about is the system so you know you're shouting at some administrator on the phone at the Mm. gp surgery when actually they can really do nothing about your problem and they don't even have any power and it wasn't their decision making so you're just sort of yeah. shooting the messenger mm, it's mm. not really a place you want to be right so she talks about finding ways of um meditating on and just reminding yourself that everyone you see has an inner life <laughs> and that mm, um mm. kind of getting in touch with that on your day-to-day -day. so that stood out to me i really like that idea yeah yeah that, that starts me too um and i guess that's when she would um you know the meditation at the end of that chapter is kind of that meta loving kindness like spreading mm. your your well wishes to people outside of yourself and understanding yeah people's individual um journeys and lives and their experience as well as your own and the mm. importantness of like interconnectedness between us anyway like relationship is where we thrive and that's uh that's the kind of cornerstone of a um a happy life isn't it to, to feel connected and, mm. and be able to live with others rather than them kind of being obstacles or tools to our mm. satisfaction which is um, so easy to fall into yeah when and she talked about one um so that's perhaps more 
it's easy to you can see how it's easy to do with strangers especially people in roles so you know in there if they're in the role of, as the clerk or the administrator or the waiter or a waitress it's mm. like you can you can just see them as their role rather than as the the being that's in there mm. Mm. um but she also talked about it in terms of close relationships and actually the way that can work is because you feel well perhaps you do because you know the person so well you've already constructed the story of who they are Mm-hmm. and can find yourself relating to this story and just predicting their behaviors and almost seeing them as this um you know automaton that you've got figured out now yeah and that's an another way you can end up objectifying the people you care about mm-hmm. rather than recognizing and reminding yourself in this very moment they have an inner life going on and i can um be interested and curious about it i can attempt to be with that rather than the uh story i've got of who they are i love the um the quote you know kind of adds that you know being open to forgiving others um you know when we don't forgive we remain like chained to our mm. own stories and kind of what you're saying you know we kind of build an impression of people but um you know what one quote is you know seeing goodness in others um is like seeing them for the first time so every time you see someone try and see them mm. with like new eyes and with a fresh perspective i thought that that's was quite yeah yeah I, I i like that and um i think i think that's something that'd be good to re- remind ourselves of because not only do we kind of carry pre um pre-mixed um impressions of other people but mm. also we kind of bring our own attitude towards it as well yeah as, as i said depending on like kind of your hunger level your sleep mm. level your your level of um busyness how yeah. out of breath you are the heat in the room like ev- everything affects that and it's kind of can you like can you reorientate when you're you know connecting with other people um mm. and that's that's one way of doing it um something i did um i guess as we're kind of getting towards the end here something i was hoping of um just briefly chatting about was the chapter 11 which is awakening mm. together so kind of building a bit on what we were saying was around communication. I know we've yeah. done a few podcasts on um, communication before, you know, yeah. non, non-violent communication, body language. Um, I like some of the, um, some of the facts she says like towards getting like genuine intimacy with people when mm. communicating is, you know, setting an intention to be present, honest and kind with mm. the other person you're listening to. And that kind of, that, that would involve like not bringing a pre- um, a pre-agenda to when you're meeting somebody um, using the body as an anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've um, I found quite useful, um, particularly talking to people in, in distress in my, mm. my new job as well. Like sometimes it can be easy to get caught up in other people's stories that yeah, yeah. You're, ver- you're verbally hearing. It could be non-verbal as well, like a general energy they're giving off that kind of a uh, impresses itself upon you. But um yeah, just mm. catching like returning to the body, you know, kind of I don't know, feeling yourself in the chair or feeling your breath or feeling your feet on the floor. That's a good um a good way to reorientate yourself. Um mm. I guess I'll I'll list them off and then hear what you've got to say. Okay. Um and then listening and speaking from the heart. So that made me think a lot about, you know, um you know, the, the tr- truth we've been talking about, you know, speaking your, your truth and what's mm. real inside of you. So communicating um, not from the story or the anxiety that's kind of driving you in that communication, but actually from what's real within you 
And I guess from connecting with your inner experience, your inner emotions, your inner feelings, those deeper drives, those underlying motives, mm. the things that kind of the wanting wants, communicating from there yeah. is a more authentic and intimate way of communicating. Um, kind of, you know, to use um, nonviolent communication language, it'd be, you know, commu- communicating your, your needs and wants yeah. um, from a genuine place. Um, yeah, just to build on that. Yeah, no, please build. I'd love to. Hit, yeah, because it's um, around a lot of around the concept of like letting go of kind of the 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 self. Like my needs, I'm feeling this way. I've got this going on. Like I, 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 my, my, my. Mm. Um, like letting go of that and trying to communicate from like a, a, a deeper place. That's the mm. big takeaway I got got from that. Yeah, love to hear what we've got to say. Well, just the so that's the. Um, the sales pitch for doing that. And I guess to, to look at it in the other direction, the reason that that we might have a tendency not to want to do that is of the vulnerability of it. Cause you, you know, going all the way back to chapter one and childhood, it's, it's like, if you've had experiences of opening up your pure self-expression and it being missed or unseen or, or even dismissed and um, attacked, then then that's um, painful when we shut off from that. So to, for one to tap back into it might be hard enough, but then to outwardly express it to someone kind of assumes yeah. that they'll give a shit or, or mm. even listen mm. at all. And, um, and there's a real chance they might not. Right. So, so although um, I guess I'm just putting the other spin on it, there's a good mm. case to be made for, for um, that kind of pure, honesty there's also a very real chance of getting hurt in doing that which is why we tend to shy away from it as well but Mm. i guess the risk of not doing it is we you can never find true intimacy or connection without it and reality uh reality warps in some ways as well i think um, i was aware as i was on uh, on my uh my previous uh excitable rant about yeah. that section was uh but it, it's very idealistic so yeah i think you've made a, a very good point i wonder um whether um beginning by kind of listening with that sort of intention like listening in a open way um an accepting way that kind of you, you when you hear things you're listening to the meaning behind it and the, the needs behind it mm. and um feeling the sensations that that kind of um that arise in you when listening to somebody else and mm. using that as a basis to kind of trust your experience. Mm. And then when it comes to communicating with others, you might be in a, a more sound connected place to do that. Mm. Um, Seeking first to understand. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone one day is going to write a book that just blends all of these together. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so on that as well, she said yeah, that yeah. when, when we, um, and this this probably applies to us in this podcast because when we are talking and listening, it's so easy to um, have an agenda of what you want to say next and sort of be clinging to that <clears throat> whilst the other person's talking. And she was suggesting, <coughs> excuse me, by really what you were just saying then, by really tapping tapping into them the felt sense and the meaning of what the other person's really trying to get across, then from that place, we ought not really know what we're going to say next because it's completely dependent upon 
what we're healing, what we're hearing and the effect that has on us and how we feel in that moment. Mm. Um, which, yeah, that, that's a very, I guess, vulnerable place to be because, mm. Uh, mm. well, for a number of reasons, but one is, yeah, that having an agenda can be a bit like a life raft. Uh, I know in like these talks, we've both got like a set of notes that we're referring to, to make sure, you know, if things pause or whatever, we've got a place to jump off from and stick to. Um, so I can see how that's really useful at the same time. If we were both just talking from our agenda the whole time, we would miss each other. So there's sort of a middle ground to be found mm. there. Mm. Um, I am. Um, I'm thinking maybe be good to hear some of your kind of final reflections about what this book's maybe a uh, um, what stood out to you and what you might carry forward, um, and maybe in particular just how it's kind of related to uh, the whole striving versus acceptance thing that we were mm. we were hoping to uh, um, explore this year uh, from our end of year podcast last year. You know what's yeah. um, has, have we have we learned anything that moves us closer <laughs> towards that answer? <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, from my place of coming into this book already having lots of experience with mindfulness, I think what I found this added was. Um, getting in touch and and staying with okay so when i often i do body scan meditations as, as part of my practice and i find them very helpful and um soothing and grounding but it's, there's a big difference between like tapping into the the tingles in your toes the sensations in your legs and your arms and your face and whatnot versus okay i'm feeling uh triggered for want of a better word in this moment something's happening here there's a frustration going on i'm not okay and then looking for those sensations specifically because then you're really looking at the the nuances of your emotional experience which is quite different mm. from you know mm. doing a body scan when you're already kind of calm and just noticing all the tingles and sensations in your skin searching for places of suffering and holding those and tuning into those and i guess accepting being willing to have them with a with a smile almost in the way that mm, um mm. you would hold a baby that's suffering something like that saying yes what you'd refer mm, to saying yeah. yes yeah yeah that's it's a i think that's for me a what i'll take away most from that is is and being willing to stay with it for an amount of time. Um, it's not always possible depending on your context and what you're up to, but just sort of breathing and, and trusting that there's a process that will just happen. Like when you, mm. when you feel heard, um, movement occurs and actually in adulthood, um, you can hear yourself and, so when I know, I, I'll go back to my example, tuning into sensations of frustration, which I felt mainly up here in the upper chest, um, sort of when I just allowed myself to 
be willing to hold them for however long it took. They did eventually sort of tingle and move around. And then I noticed more of a softness and a, a sadness and which I don't think would have happened had I not have stayed with it. Mm, so mm. Um, that sort of staying with suffering and just holding and being um, in those crucial moments, I think is mm. the sort of nutshell takeaway. I think I'm going to. Mm. That's really nice to hear. Yeah, it sounds, sounds kind of just added a an extra layer to your your current practice and something you can maybe practice in a more um, day to day, moment to moment sense, as opposed to in informal practice. Yeah, yeah, which that's... um quite a big thing, right? To think that you know something you can kind of integrate on a um, moment to moment basis, as opposed yeah. to kind of add, adding it as a habit. It's not kind of like oh, I'll practice acceptance this morning. It's kind of like a a general attitude and um, an exploration that can kind of be carried out at any time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here's the nuance. So, so there was times where I think, Oh crap, I'm feeling anxious or angry time to use my mindfulness. And I would perhaps do a body scan. And again, like I noted previously noticed the sensations in my toes and my legs, mm. but I, it, I think there are times where I was probably using it more as an avoidance. So it's like, I would, yeah. I would yeah. bring mindful awareness to maybe even random parts of my body and it would help perhaps soothe and calm me in that moment but in doing so i was ignoring the actual um sensations that mm. were connected to my the actual sensations connected to suffering and as i say this i it's it resonates with how actually when i do body scans i generally find it harder to tap into sensations in the visceral areas like the um, abdomen like the chest like the torso areas we're scanning up through the legs and the arms and the face it, i find a lot easier so that's probably mm. something to do with that as well so yeah mm. rather than using mindfulness as a as an avoidance technique to um which may be helpful in some moments but actually being mindful on the specific places that hurt is a, yes, is a counterintuitive yeah. um, practice, which I will take. So that's yeah. a long takeaway. I'd love to hear you. No, no, love, love that. No, no, that was great. I think, um, you know, to think the, the roomy quote, like um, shining light on the, on the wound is, uh, mm. is where, yeah. um, is where, you know, kind of the, the healing is found and where we can, where, mm. where we grow. And I know, um, you know, describing your, uh, tingling in your chest as a wound maybe a, a touch dramatic but uh it's um certainly like the sentiment of kind of exploring the place where you least maybe want to look and yeah um, yeah like really putting a magnifying glass on that um yeah yeah thanks for sharing that um so, so so for me it's really reinforced that um in particular moments where i'm feeling you know maybe anxious or um distressed or or worried just really carrying an attitude of, um, yeah, of, of kind kindness towards it, and knowing that um, I I compound the the stress, anxiety, worry in the situation by kind of trying to pro problem solve, trying to fix it, trying to make things different, mm. trying to constantly make things different, and maybe just uh, um, well, this has acted as a, a bit of a reminder for me to kind of um, that there is another way to address things when they're not mm. kind of going my way or um, I'm feeling yeah worried about something or there's um, a, a, maybe an opinion of me that isn't um, 
isn't kind of what I would like, or I'm worried about what other people are thinking, um, that I can, yeah, t- take a step back and, um, view things in a, in a kinder way rather than mm. kind of abandoning the, uh, the sensations within me and my real experience yeah. and jumping to like problem solver. I think it's uh, just yeah. really re- reinforced that. I think, um, yeah. just having that in mind, you know, so it, it's something I've certainly used in the, you know, the couple of weeks, um, reading the book as well. Like there's been times where I've, uh, I've had those, those worries. And instead of kind of trying to, um, make it different i've yeah. kind of just sat back a bit and ex- explored it a bit more and um let it let it come and go and also um uh, takeaway for me is how well it ties into um some of the you know the, the waking up book we read by yeah. sam harris you know thinking about you know we are kind of a uh, consciousness and it's it's content and yeah. you know kind of getting fixated on that sense that like i'm a self sitting behind my eyes within my brain yeah um in, inside my head you know be able to loosen that a little bit. And I think that's something, you know, kind of, it's a, it's certainly a book with a, a Buddhist theme to it. Like yeah. she's a Buddhist meditation teacher. A lot yeah. of the teachings are from there. Yeah. Um, I like how it related to that. Um, yeah. You know, kind of the, the sense of self that we can become attached to is also a cause of our, our suffering as well. Yeah. So kind of just in a lighthearted way of being like not taking things. So personally, it's not my, my pain it's just a, a sensation that mm. is appearing in the consciousness that i happen to inhabit <laughs> so yeah I, I guess i'm also aware um maybe more more room to discuss this in future podcasts yeah. but you know also it's kind of a yeah try not to use this as a a strategy to kind of to to feel better or to kind <laughs> of uh d- dismiss yeah. um pain or responsibility and that sort of thing it's it's a it's a general attitudinal shift i think um as well as a a practice that can be uh um uptaken in various situations whether that's in formal practice or on on a daily basis so that's my 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 summary as well but uh, it seems like it sparked sparked our interest yeah yeah i um just reflecting on some of those you um yeah, it's like anything can end up being used as a threat-soothing mechanism. So you talked about there where you perhaps get anxious and have your autopilot go to action and problem-solving. And those action, taking action and problem-solving are sort of key life skills, right? They're, they're things that, um, you know, in some behavioral therapy on depression that's really what they're trying to get people to do it's like just take one small action and notice the effects of that so it's interesting that you're highlighting something which is such a uh strength and knowing how it can fall into the trap of being used as a Mm. an avoidance strategy Mm. in those moments similar to what i said about you know using mindfulness as an avoidance strategy Mm. Mm something to to keep track on i guess as we do yeah. future books that we're we're, uh, we're kind of using things within um maybe a bit more of a light-hearted intention rather than a problem solving yeah. strategy so um, yeah i guess it's about um, yeah. where, why are we doing things are we doing things to um um meet our needs and live a life of more connection or fulfillment are we doing things to become that like 
better person that we think other people want us to be or uh, yeah. intrinsic versus extrinsic um, motivations. Yeah, I'd I'd like to uh I'd like to currently think that we do this out of the joy of a a shared passion that moves us closer to mm. um you know um learning learning more whereas opposed yeah. to being like closer to being the uh, the perfect person by, <laughs> yeah. podca- by podcast 50 then we quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um great okay. Thanks again mate. Um yeah. Oh, this has been been a while actually. It's probably been about four weeks, I think. Mm. So, uh, um, if you're right, just to introduce the the next book, um, why we chose it, and how maybe it fits in the future, then we'll uh, so the say good night. Yeah. Next book is "Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers" by Robert Sapolsky. Um, he's a professor lecturer at Stanford. At least he was when I watched his lectures. Uh, I've not read the book yet, but it's. Um, it, was, it will apply more of the science to um, actually it will tie in a lot to this. So zebras in the same way don't get ulcers because they don't have this um, abstract worrying mind that can constantly trigger their anxiety and threat system, whereas humans do. So um, that's all I know about it, but it will be a book about, about that, about being human and how our naturally human mind can trigger suffering in us and what we can do about that from a scientific perspective right really looking forward to it nice one so i guess we'll uh we'll find a date and we'll do that in the next couple of weeks so thanks again and um yeah hopefully uh we can carry this attitude of uh, radical acceptance throughout the rest of our <laughs> the next podcast we do and if we don't then i guess we're worthless piece, pieces of shit yeah nice way to end it mate (laughs) chat to you soon much love yeah good one nice to see you you, mate take care bye bye